Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, kitchen chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, dear foodie friends, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. I'm your host, Margaret McSweeney, and I am so excited to share the joy of cooking with the great-grandson, John Becker, and his wife, Megan Scott, here in Chicago. First of all, welcome to Chicago. Oh, thank thank you. you so much. Aww. Well, everyone knows about the joy of cooking, and so many stories are coming out already saying, oh, I remember Louise was sharing her first recipe from the book was the baked chicken, and and <laughs> then uh, Karen from New York was talking about how she loved the pancakes, and you really, your family, this family legacy created so many taste memories for all of us growing up. And what's extra special, as many of the listeners and viewers know, the reason I do Kitchen Chat is to honor my late father, who was a wonderful mm. gourmet home chef. And my biggest regret in life was not going in the kitchen with him to mm. cook. And I just, he exuded joy and had the joy of cooking in our kitchen. So it's just such an honor to to understand what this joy is all about. <laughs> yeah, it seems like we have something in common. I, I, I was never able to meet Marianne or Irma, and I feel like, uh, you know, in addition to, I felt a lot of motivations for doing this project, but um, one of them was to try to, you know, really connect with Irma and Marianne in the only way that, you know, I, I knew how. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, that that's amazing that that was your motivation for, for starting this. It's awesome. Oh, well, thank you. And Megan, you are now part of the Joy of Cooking family. <laughs> Can you share with us about that? Sure. Um, well, so I met John in uh, 2010. Um, I was working at a bakery in Asheville, North Carolina, and um, a friend of, a coworker of mine, um, I was talking with him about The Joy of Cooking because it was the first cookbook I ever purchased for myself. Um, and I had had a lot of really great first cooking experiences with Joy of Cooking. Like I roasted my first chicken using the instructions in Joy of Cooking. I, I, there's a there's a chicken thread that's, <laughs> yeah. that's uh, slowly becoming... <laughs> But I uh, I was talking to a coworker about this, and he said, well, didn't you know that the guy whose family wrote The Joy of Cooking works at that coffee shop down the street? And I could not believe that that could be true. So as soon as I got off my shift at the bakery, I went down to the coffee shop, which I had been a regular at because, um, you know, I would go there to do homework or read. And so I kind of knew all the baristas, but I, I asked the barista behind the counter if he knew anything about that. And it happened to be John who was working. Um, and he sort of blushed and was like, yeah, that's my, that's my family. Um, and I was just overwhelmed and uh, amazed. And we, we had some more conversations and then yeah, your, uh, your, your coworker wasn't lying. <laughs> no, I, I thought he was, yeah, I couldn't believe it. Um, but I ended up asking John out on a date and, uh, we hit it off and that's how that got started. <laughs> I love that. So you found your joy with joy yes. of cooking. <laughs> and John, if we could just go way back into the family sure. legacy here. Yeah. How did this all begin with Irma? And why was she so joyful in the kitchen? So Irma, um, she, was, uh, she was a housewife. 
um, her her two uh, children were out of the house, um, and unfortunately, you know, her her husband Edgar uh, was very sick uh, with uh, with cancer. Um, also, was dealing with some probably undiagnosed, like especially at the time, undiagnosed um, uh, psychological pr- uh, problems. Probably was a de- depression. Um, at any rate, he committed suicide. You know, very sad. You know, like, especially for you know the origin story of something that's called the joy of cooking. It's you know kind of a dark, macabre you know beginning. But um, so you know. Irma was of a generation of women who did not have um, any professional training, which just wasn't expected. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe there were a few of Irma's contemporaries who would go off to, you know, go off to college, but she was not one of them. She kind of had like the, you know, she was brought up to be a lady. And so she had, you know, she did the European tour, you know, and uh, visited some relatives in, in Germany, you know, from, you know, because her parents had emigrated. Uh, and so, you know, she was worldly, but she was not, you know, did not have any really marketable skills. So, um, you know, she was, what, in her 50s? In her, she was in her 50s, and, uh, you know, Edgar had left her with, I mean, I guess what it would be the equivalent of a year's salary. Um, she took half of that, um, and despite the fact that she had, you know, she was not renowned for her cooking abilities, she was, she was a renowned hostess. I mean, well, I mean, renowned as in like people had a good time at her at her parties, um, but yeah, not necessarily the first person you would think to like. Oh, I, I could obviously see her writing writing a cookbook, um, <laughs> but for whatever reason, she decided that she was onto something, and so she self published uh, the first edition, uh, had it privately printed, and then basically sold it by hand, both to, you know, obviously to family and friends who were more than happy to help her out considering the circumstances, but also, you know, she would go around to bookstores and, like, try to get them to buy copies so that they they would um, sell them. And uh, eventually, uh, Bob's Merrill, a um, uh, a no longer publishing giant of the Midwest, uh, was interested and they ended up publishing the second edition in 1936, um, which, you know, the first edition was like maybe, you know, 300 and change pages, uh, maybe 400 recipes or something, something like that. I haven't counted them, but it's, it's, you know, a modest amount compared to what was to come. The next edition was 2,500 recipes. So yeah, that was, a, she, she tests, was, she would test oh, each recipe. Yeah. Yeah, she did. um, And she would do she had a little cabin in the Ozarks and she would go to her cabin in the summer and test recipes there as well as in her apartment in St. Louis. This is an incredible story. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's it's really kind of um, out of nothing, (laughs) you know, like ex ex nihilo. I mean, for for me, it just it's kind of miraculous that she was able to do this. I I don't understand how. um, But yeah, it's just. (laughs) Something that I, I had to accept. <laughs> and it's the family legacy. Right. And so did she and Julia Child get a chance to meet? Julia they, and, um, and Irma did meet in Paris. And then, uh, you know, so Mary and her daughter, um, Irma's daughter, actually, well, she was she did the paper cuts for the original. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sorry. A, yeah, this is the 1931. This is the cover of the 1931 edition. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, Marianne did the paper cuttings um, for the dust jacket as well as the 
the chapter headings, which we we actually have uh, paper cuts in the new edition for the chapter headings as well to kind of you know harken back to that without um, without having like some sort of kitschy recipes. You know? oh. <laughs> um, but so uh, you know. She published the 1936 edition, and then um, after that came the 1943 edition, and you know, of course, that was published during World War II. Mm. Um, so there was inf- information on uh, how to cope with rationing, as well as um, there was also a lot of uh, a lot of recipes that included uh, or utilized uh, canned goods, which were you know kind of the the kitchen hack of the day, I guess. Definitely, like, new on the scene, and, you know, for Irma, who was, like, a, the consummate entertainer, it, it meant that she had to spend less time in the kitchen, and she was all about that. Um, and I think that's part of, um, part of the joy of cooking for Irma was being able to uh, cook something and get out of the kitchen as soon as possible to return to the party and be with her friends and family. Um, I also think, uh, part of me thinks that the joy of cooking is a little bit of a I don't know. I, I don't think ironic is the right word, but I think, you know, Irma was a very witty, um, intelligent person. And, you know, cooking wasn't something she necessarily loved for the sake of cooking. Um, but I think that she could see the joy in it. Or, you know, at the time, uh, cooking was kind of seen as like a drudgery that you had to do. Um, and I think she wanted to inject some humor and fun into the process with her. She was a, a remarkably witty person. And so that's what made the first ed- edition of Joy of Cooking so unique was that most cookbooks at the time were a bit dry. Mm. Um, they were sort of like home economics manuals. And Irma really wanted to bring her personality and voice into the cookbook, and which she did, which is one of the reasons why her readers loved the book so much. Oh, and why the readers of the new generation will love this book. And let's dive into this joy. <laughs> I love how a lot of things have been updated. Can you share some of the highlights of what's new and maybe some of the the recipes we said goodbye to? <laughs> sure. Well, uh, I mean, it, it's it's hard to narrow down, but because we really did go through the entire book line by line, um, we created a very detailed outline uh, after going through the book multiple times. And this was after, so w- when we started working for the family, we were basically just testing recipes out of the last edition. We wanted to cook through, you know, c- cook through the book. Um, and so we, during that process, we made these genealogies of the recipes, so just to trace back to which edition they were added and maybe how they had changed. Um, so that was like the first step to us doing this revision. And then, um, you know, after that, and then also uh, we helped develop an app which involved basically taking the book apart and then putting it back together. After that, we started to get a sense of like what we wanted to do, and we created this really detailed outline. And so, really, like every section has been updated in some way. Whether that's like a, you know, whether or not that's like taking away a recipe that we felt was like a little long in the tooth, or you know, um, just fact checking all of the information we have and the the copious amounts of reference material. Um, like it, it really is just kind of a ground up re not rethinking. I guess you would say that we, we just really wanted to improve all of it. And we didn't want to, we didn't want to take anything for granted. We didn't want to assume that anything was, 
you know, correct. We wanted to just make sure everything was up to date. And um, like John said, a lot of fact checking and a lot of research went into this edition because we really wanted to ensure that our readers have the most up to date information. Um, and in terms of things that are new, things that we've changed, um, in addition to just updating all the reference material and adding 600 new recipes, um, I know it's a lot. Um, we also added a section on fermentation, uh, which is completely new. We added gram weights to the baking chapters. Um, what else? We expanded um, our coverage of um, other preservation techniques, such as canning, salting, smoking, drying, um, all those things that Joy of Cooking is known for, kind of as the desert island cookbook. Yes. <laughs> the Desert Island Cookbook. And I, I'm so thrilled, too, about how many recipes for vegan, vegetarian mm -hmm. have been added as well. Absolutely, yeah. No, that was right. definitely a priority for us. In, in addition to, you know, recipes that were specifically meant for, for those to be vegan and vegetarian, we've also tried to include in head notes um, ways to make ones that are maybe not, to, you know, just point, point to substitutions or, you know, just variations where you can make them that way. Um, so that way, you know, we're not necessarily like, you know, not every recipe that can be made vegan is going to have vegan in the title. Right. But mm -hmm. um, I mean, especially our ve our vegetable chapter is just, it's always been, ex you know, extensive. You know, it's a alphabetical by vegetable, you know, chapter. So it's a very systematic, you know, collection of recipes. I mean, it's almost its own cookbook. Um, you could say that about a few chapters in there. The meat, the meat <laughs> chapter, I mean, it definitely, by the time yeah. we were done with it, it felt like its own cookbook, um, just because it took a super long time. It was a ton of research. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, getting, getting back to the vegetable chapter, yes. uh, you know, you, we were talking earlier about how you hadn't been to Portland yet, but you'd heard about the farmer's markets. Yes. And I, that's definitely like, that was a huge influence on us. Um, and we really tried to cover like all of the, the interesting uh, varieties of produce that you can now find at farmers markets, um, and so yeah, definitely ex that was one of. In addition to researching, like the know your ingredients chapter was a fantastic thing for me for us to research, mm -hmm. just because it it was just like one rabbit hole after another that you know, <laughs> deep dive after deep dive. But the vegetable chapter also was just fantastic for that. Um, had a really good time doing what it. What new vegetable was added? Well, let's see, Celtis. Yeah, um, Celtus is new. Um, and what is Celtus? It's a stem it's, lettuce. So it's a, it's a variety of lettuce that's grown for its stem. It's primarily like a Chinese, I mean, wait, it's actually, I think it actually is uh, of European origin, but mm -hmm. for some reason, like it fell out heavily of- Heavily used in Heavily Chinese used in Chin cooking. Chinese cooking and, and not much, not so much in Europe, European mm -hmm. cooking. Um, but it's really, it's really great. It has a, it has a very kind of firm, it's a firm textured. It's crunchy, it's crunchy um, a little bit sweet and nutty. Nutty. It's yeah. a very interesting uh, vegetable for sure. I'm but we also just of... expanded our coverage of vegetables that were already discussed. For example, um, the mushroom, the section on mushrooms. Yes. Um, I think in the last edition, there were maybe a dozen or maybe not even a dozen, maybe like eight varieties covered. And now we cover, I think, like 18 to 20 varieties of mushrooms. Mm. You know, mushrooms are such a huge thing in the Pacific Northwest. Um, so we wanted to cover as many varieties as possible. So really, it was a matter of expanding our coverage on um, all these different types of vegetables. Um, I'm trying to think if there were any other absolute new ones, um, but yeah, I, no. I can't um, remember. 
piano. And it's tough. As a pastry, pastry chef, were there any additional uh, pastries added to the book? <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> um, we added uh, a recipe for Queen Amon, uh, which are the um, Breton, um, they're like croissants, but they are folded. When they're folded during the process, you fold sugar into the dough, and then you kind of shape them in a different way, and they are just these really beautiful caramel. They get uh, the sugar melts and kind of caramelizes. It's fantastic. Um, so delicious. We added a recipe for cannelé. Um, yeah. uh, that was probably one of the recipes that was the hardest. Um, we tested that upwards of At a dozen times. At least a times. dozen, yeah. Um, I mean, all of the tests were edible, but we weren't satisfied with like the, the result. There, there are a few uh, places in Portland that do ex- excellent cannelé um, and you know, we just had to, it, did, they did, it wasn't measuring up, so we yeah. had to keep on working at it. Um, well, I know we all said goodbye to a few recipes. Was it the wiggly shrimp? Oh, <laughs> <Wiggly>. shrimp, <laughs> shrimp wiggle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Truly, I think, you know, um, it was best to leave that recipe in the past. Um, it's okay. We can say goodbye to recipes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that was a, that was a retro, it was a kind of a retro touch for, from the last edition, um, and you know, it was it was already kind of antiquated when it went back in, and we just decided it was time to take that away. Mm-hmm. But there are like lots of other more subtle ways that we kind of uh, whittle down on the older material just by um, offering like you know one basic recipe, and then having like an additions to that recipe section. You know, I'm I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, one example of that would be the stuffing recipe. So we have a recipe for like basic bread stuffing. Um, and then in the previous editions, there would be half a dozen variation recipes based on that one. But what we did was we kept the basic recipe and then we turned all the variations into a list of optional ingredients that you can add to the stuffing to kind of make it different or make it um, the way you want to make it. So rather than ha- you know taking up all the space with those additions, we just kind of give a list of optional ingredients. So it's like just being more efficient and that, that's to make room for new material. And you talk about streamlined, talking about making right. things more efficient, streamlining. Can you share mm-hmm. with us about that concept in the book? Sure. It's, it's a new chapter. Um, the, the title of the chapter is Streamlined Cooking, and um, it's actually taken from a book that Irma published in 1939. Um, not, not part of Joy of Cooking canon necessarily, but uh, a, lot of the, um, a lot of the recipes in the 1943 edition that used canned goods are actually from streamlined cooking. And so like, like I was saying how that was like the, you know, newfangled technological hack of the day. Um, we felt like we just wanted to repurpose, um, that concept, um, just as far as like, you know, instead of thinking about using convenience products or trying to buy pre-made things, like how do you just, how do you make cooking a practice rather than a performance? So instead of like, starting over from scratch every time and like, oh, got to make a grocery list, got to go to the grocery store, got to make sure I have everything on the list, and then I'm going to go home and follow this recipe. I mean, that's a great way to learn how to cook a recipe, um, especially for the first time. And it's how we all learn. And it, But, you know, doing that day in and day out is, I mean, it's just tiring. It's really tiring. And that's probably, I think, I mean, I'm you know, this is I'm arm, I'm armchairing this, but I think that that's probably what turns people off the most about you know um, making a habit of cooking. Um, so what we wanted to do was provide some strategies for how to. Um, it's not just meal prep or meal planning. It's more like um, 
That's a little bit of both. So, you know, let's say you you make a batch of beans, you know, like let's say you, you cook a pound of chickpeas. Um, how do you use that throughout the week? Uh, you, how do you reinvent it, I guess? So like the first night you have a chana masala or, you know, some, maybe, maybe even just, uh, you know, a, a spicy chickpea soup. Um, the next night you could repurpose, like if you made the chana masala, you could maybe, um, you know, bake some sweet potatoes and then fill it with the chana masala for like another way of, you know, using that. Or, you know, maybe even just start over with a chickpea, like whatever chickpeas you have left over and make like a, I think we have a really good recipe for a uh, roasted cauliflower and chickpea salad. Mm-hmm. It was just fantastic. Um, but yeah, just like ideas like that. And of course, like we, we only give, we try to give some, um, some examples, just um, like th- I think five, like kind Different. of like throughout the week, this is how you would use, like for instance, a roasted chicken, or this is how you would repurpose like um, a slow roasted uh, filet, salmon filet or... Yeah. But it's also, it's, so it's about, you know, creatively using leftovers or strategically cooking so that you don't have to start from scratch every single night. Um, but also, how do you use kitchen scraps or, you know, leftover things that you might normally throw away? Um, how do you kind of strategize? So that's what that whole chapter is about, is kind of developing the practice of cooking to get yourself in the kitchen more, but with a little bit less, um, little bit less effort. And hopefully, like, less money. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, and I love that this is such a reflection of your generation as well <laughs> with the streamline. Well, meal planning goes for mm-hmm. everyone, but being conscious about wasting food because mm-hmm. there's so much food waste here. So that is so great to see that element in here too. Well, as we all know, the joy of cooking connects us all. Can you share with us some heartfelt stories that you have heard throughout this joyful journey from how how it impacted people's lives we i mean we had no idea i i personally had no idea like the kind of connections that we would have with complete strangers i mean i i realized i realized you know at a pretty young age that a lot of people have had the joy of cooking in their in their homes or like their mothers or grandmothers had passed them down but it really um i mean there's a there's that one there's that one person who I just keep on going back to that I can't get over. But she, so this lady, um, she was, she was going into a nursing home. Um, she had a paperback edition of the 1963, um, and she sent it to us, and it was like in a Ziploc because it was literally like destroyed. Like you know, you would have to like kind of, you know. <laughs> it's, it was not a flip through it. It's more like, okay, I'm going to put this page over there, you know, just keep, you know, if you wanted to actually use it. Um, and she accompanied it with a note and basically saying like, you know, this is in such horrible shape that I just don't think that my, I don't think that my, uh, my daughters are going to, uh, you know, really appreciate it. But um, I just wanted to send this back to you and let you know that, that this book has gotten me through what was it like three marriages uh has helped me raise raise six children has been through a flood (laughs) just like it just all of this really it was just like a you know not a life story it sounded like you know several life stories like all in one and she was just like i just wanted to let you and your family know that this is that you really have helped me that you know you've always been there for me and it was just like one of the most touching things we've ever gotten but 
I mean, we've had emails that have, you know, some of the emails uh, are, you know, equally touching. Um, you we know, just. A, a young woman who um, I think she was in middle school um, and she started to have chronic migraines um, and couldn't play the sports. She loved playing sports, but she just couldn't play sports anymore because of this condition. So kind of um, as a new hobby, she started baking um, and she used the joy of cooking and she wrote us um, a note telling us how much she loved the book. And I think we sent, we ended up sending her a birthday card. Um, and so you just have this really, uh, these really amazing uh, interactions with people that you never would have met otherwise through the book. And it's incredible to see how, how it's touched so many different people over the years. Um, and it, it, it definitely raised the stakes for us, you know, and just yes. having to, uh, well, yeah, just trying to improve, well, quote, you know, I'm sure that not everybody's going to think of it as, a, as an improvement. I mean, because you can't please everybody, but it definitely, um, you know, we, we, it really added to our sense of what we were dealing with that, I mean, I, having grown up with it, you, you can only like know so much about that. Um, until you start interacting with, with, with our readers. I feel like we really have a special relationship, a unique relationship with our readers. And I just think this is such a hug from heaven. That's something I like <laughs> to call uh, on this journey that I've had in understanding my father's joy of cooking to be able to meet the legacy of the joy of cooking. But how wonderful that your great-grandmother continues and now through this generation to bring people around the world around the table to share meals and conversations and special moments with family and friends that's such an incredible legacy truly no it is i i mean i we're we're incredibly lucky and um you know working on something like this it i mean even when I wasn't thinking of following in Irma or Marion or Ethan's footsteps, I, you know, I couldn't have dreamt of like a more meaningful project to do. I mean, it really, it's brought a lot of direction to my life. Um, it's helped me utilize a lot of skills that I thought I would never use. <laughs> so, and cook how many thousands of <laughs> test recipes? <laughs> I mean, you know. It, I mean, before we'd even started the revision, we had tested about 1,500 recipes. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to even believe that myself. Just, just give yourself, you know, enough time. And yeah. Well, I always like to end the show with the top three tips for the home chef. But I think in this case, what are the top three tips for the joy of cooking for the home chef to find the joy of cooking? I think, um, lower lower the stakes. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, don't be afraid to make some mistakes and realize that, you know, it's it's just food. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I really think that, you know, it, it the bar is so high um, in a lot of people's minds, you know, uh, whether it's like from watching too many competition shows to, uh, you know, just feeling just intimidated by by the kitchen or by, you know, just, just take it one step at a time. And, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> and also sharpen your knives. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would also say, um, you know, mistakes are frustrating and things that don't turn out well can be frustrating, but, um, when you make a mistake, it's an opportunity to learn. Um, and some of my 
biggest, you know, learning moments in the kitchen have been because I'm totally messed something up. Um, so I think, you know, allow yourself to be upset for a minute, but then say, okay, what have I learned from this experience? And that is where you're going to find, I think, you know, part of the joy of cooking is just that everyday learning opportunity that you get in the kitchen. Thank you so much, John. Was that, was Becker. that three? I, th- I think <laughs> three. <laughs> we can add in a bonus if you have a bonus, um, Joy. <laughs> add more garlic. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you both, John Becker and Megan Scott, for sharing the joy of cooking. Dear foodie friends, I'm going to make sure that we have a link to this fabulous new book. Make sure you get it, especially with the holiday season, and it's a great uh, gift for any occasion. But thank you so much for being on Kitchen Chat. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. (laughs) And thank you, dear foodie friends. And always remember to take a moment and savor the day. Thanks for joining Margaret for Kitchen Chat today. Margaret would be so excited for you to drop by and visit with her at kitchenchat.info, where you'll enjoy podcasts, blogs, recipes, tips from chefs, and even great giveaways. She invites you to share your recipes and kitchen stories, too. As Margaret always says, savor the day.